What is up, everybody? This is Hunter Williams. Today is going to be episode 77 of the NeuroEdge podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I know your time is your most valuable asset. So as always, I just want to extend my sincerest gratitude to you for trying to make yourself better today. The name of today's episode is 21 Lessons from a Samurai. Now that may seem a little different than what I'm used to doing, talking about health and everything, but I really think these lessons can apply to our life and particularly as we try to level up and become the highest performing version of ourselves and the highest level health version of ourselves, healthiest version of ourselves. And this was inspired by a recent book I read called The Book of Five Rings by a samurai from the 16th and 17th century known as Musashi. That was his last name, but I think his first name was Miyamoto Musashi. And he is one of the more legendary samurai in Japanese folklore. And that's not something history-wise that I have necessarily taken a deep dive into, but I really enjoyed reading this book. And it was actually an audio book that I came across on Audible that was included in the subscription to Audible that I have. They did this new thing on Audible, which I don't get any kickbacks or anything like this, but it's really cool if you have an Audible subscription. What they're doing now is having books included with that as part of your subscription. So you have access to all these different books that you actually don't have to use your credits or pay extra money for. But anyway, I've always been fascinated by this idea of the warrior ethos. So having, and I don't know what that is within me. I've always been a competitive athlete and kind of identified with this warrior ethos that is something that we have within ourselves that we use to fight, and whether that's in the fight of battle or in the fight of business or the fight of life, whatever we're doing, just to have the warrior inside of us. That's something I've always loved, learning about through history, studying different warriors, and everything like that. So I thought this was pretty fascinating and took some time to read that book last week and want to do a podcast on this book and also Musashi as a person, kind of explain his background, what he was about. But anyway, before I jump into that don't forget, head over in the link in the description to the Facebook group. In that group, we are going to be, do a lot, be doing a lot of cool things that are not on the podcast or on the YouTube video that you get to engage with me, do a bunch of different really cool stuff and talk about things that we don't necessarily talk about on the podcast. So if you want insider knowledge and information, hop on over, check it out. It's really cool and we are growing that to have a really cool, cool close-knit community of like-minded people that are interested in talking about the same thing. So that being said, so who was Musashi? Musashi? Miyamoto Musashi was his name. He was, again, a Japanese ronin. And what I'm going to do first is just give it a little bit of background on who he was, what he did in his life. And again, if you want the whole story, definitely go check out the book. But this is going to be a brief overview. Brief overview. And more importantly, this is going to be the breakdown of his 21 lessons from the Book of Five Rings. So the Book of Five Rings at the end has these 21 lessons that he kind of outlined as he got older into his life that he thought that we all should live by. And I thought they were really cool, really good guidelines that we can all go by and kind of identify within ourselves. And what's cool about this is it's got intertwined into it the notions of a lot of different Zen that is talking about self-control, self-discipline, and how we can use those things. So before I jump into, let's get a little bit of background on Musashi. So 
Musashi was a Japanese ronin. He lived in the 16th and 17th century, like I said. On record, so the Japanese historic record is a little bit different than we would consider in the Western world. And a lot is more, I don't know what the right word would be. It's, it's more allegory based. And the way they use language, and they talk about this in the book, the way that they use language is not necessarily how we use language in the West. So in the West, we're very literal in how we use language. In Eastern cultures, they are much more metaphorical in how they use language, and they may have one word for something that it takes a whole sentence or a whole paragraph for us to describe in the West. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go ahead and just check out the book. You'll, it'll make more sense. But there are certain things in their culture that we in the West have to be very ber verbose and exposing. They will have one word for it. But Musashi fought over 60 documented duels in his life, and According to record, never was defeated by any swordsman. He won his first duel when he was only 13 years old. And he was also the founder of uh, an art known as, I'm going to butcher this, it's Niten Ichiryu. And it's a martial, martial art in Japan involving fighting with two swords, a shorter wakazashi and a longer katana. So again, I don't know how to pronounce those, but he did uh, was the creator of that. And the use of two swords in battle, so one in one hand, one in the other, was regarded in Japan as the pinnacle of fencing skills. So that was the elite level swordsman in Japan, if they could fight with those. And uh, while most warriors only used one sword, Musashi made fighting with two swords famous in all of Japan. So thought that was pretty cool. He actually revolutionized the idea of fighting in Japan. And that, as I was reading this book, it kind of brought to attention in my mind, what are you doing to revolutionize things around you in your life? And so up until this point, everyone had fought with one sword. Musashi came in and decided to fight with two swords. A lot of people may have thought that was impossible, but they may have thought that was too hard. They may have thought it was something that they weren't capable of doing, but he completely inverted and flipped the notion of what he thought was possible. So I thought that was something that was really powerful and applicable to our lives today. A lot of times we just go by what we are told from the time we go through this, through school all the way up through adulthood and we're told to do things in our workplace. But what can we do to revolutionize our industry, revolutionize the things around us so that we create things in the future and that we are always becoming creators just as Musashi was. And what's cool about this is it's from the warrior standpoint. So a lot of people think of art and the creation as this idea that you have to be a great painter or a great actor or a great musician. He invented a martial art, which is something that was more of an athletic feat. And in Japanese culture, warriors were a class of themselves. So I believe the book talked about they had peasants, they had warriors, they had merchants, and they had artisans in their culture. And warriors were ones that were highly revered and respected for what they did. Um, Musashi was also the founder of Goren Nosho, which was the book of Five Rings. So he was the author of that. Um, this book, it talks about a bunch of different issues, uh, not only the martial arts, but also the proper state of mind and spirit, the importance of dominating the, the opponent during a fight. Um, he also criticizes other schools passing on his own path of philosophy and the right, of that, right attitude in life, and uh, was also kind of known as what the Japanese saw as a Renaissance man, as we talk about a lot about Leonardo da Vinci and all these people in our Western culture. He was very equivalent to what they would have considered a Renaissance man. Uh, he was a swordmaster, but also a painter, poet, and crafts, craftsman, which again, 
for that time in Japanese culture, they were broken up into these classes where you had peasants, farmers, artisans, merchants, and warriors. And he kind of cross-pollinated disciplines from all these different areas. Um, and eventually, at the end of his life, wrote a book, which apparently the book that I read, the prelude to the book I was reading, uh, The Book of Five Rings, was not something that was really common in Japanese culture at that time to do. So he was kind of a first in terms of recording all this because a lot of the knowledge was handed down through the actual practice of the martial art itself. And it wasn't something that you could necessarily write about. And if you think about it, it makes sense because when you're doing a martial art, you, you don't really write about how to do something. It's more of a demonstration of the art and actually performing it itself. So he was kind of the first to encapsulate and quantify into writing a lot of these principles from martial arts that were up until this point for thousands of years handed down orally and taught person to person, face to face, and kind of brought down through an oral tradition. And he was one of the first guys to codify this. So that was pretty cool. And again, revolutionary for the time. Um, but to get into these 21 different rules for life that he talks about, um, before he died, Musashi wrote a short work called the the Dokoro, which is known as the Path of Aloneness, uh, the way to go forth alone or the way of walking alone. And it is in that text that rules of life can also be found. And uh, this consists of 21 precepts and expresses a stringent, honest, and ecstatic view of life. Some of the pearls of wisdoms may sound confusing or incomprehensible, but that's why I want to talk about them today. So let's go ahead and jump on into it. Let's talk about these 21 rules and how they are important for our life today, how we can really make use of them and use them to improve ourselves. So one, starting off, accept everything in life just the way it is. So there are situations, struggles, problems, life that we simply cannot control. We have no influence on them. So accepting that and realizing it, that those things are out of our control is just going to be life. And a lot of times the anxiety and frustration we have in life come from this idea that we can't control everything. And so we go through life worrying and fretting about things that we can't control rather than just embracing that and having that is a calm inside of us. So I thought that was really powerful and a great place to start if you're trying to teach someone lessons for life that you can hand down and just say, accept everything in life just the way it is. And then from there, decide what you're going to do about it rather than trying to control forces outside of what you may be able to control. Number two, I thought this was really cool, is don't seek pleasure for its own sake. So it's often said that life is about the journey, not the destination. The point is that often while chasing something, we forget about other things along the way. And this is kind of this principle laid out. So don't seek pleasure just for the sake of pleasure. A lot of times we get caught up in chasing, I got to have more money. I got to have a faster car. I got to have all these different things in my life. I got to have a bigger house just for the sake of having them. Rather than being present in the moment, present and comfortable, present and comfortable in your body and who you are as a person, just as opposed to seeking pleasure for the sake of pleasure. Now, if you like those things, that's great. And it's not a problem to try to achieve things in life and become great and become wealthy and all these things. However, are you seeking pleasure just for pleasure's sake? Or are you doing it so you can actually change the world and leaving a meaningful imprint on the people around you and serving others? And I think that's what's important to remember on the journey of life that we are all on here on this vessel of earth is to remember 
that we're not just here to seek pleasure for the sake of pleasure. We're here to help contribute and change the world. Number three, do not depend on a partial feeling. I thought this was pretty cool and not something that I really have thought about that much. But to make the right decisions, we need to be fully informed first, not active impulsively on hearing a thing or two. Um, decisions that appear from partial feelings are just really well thought out. And I thought about this a lot with our intuition and how we make decisions. A lot of times we will become over overly logical on how we make decisions when a lot of the times the best decisions that we make are ones from intuition. The ones that we get from intuition a lot of times are those decisions that we know wholeheartedly we should be doing, whereas a lot of the logical decisions we make oftentimes are ones that we try to piece together and we're not wholeheartedly in. So the way I took this is just you have to have your heart in all the decisions that you're making and don't don't depend on partial feelings inside you. Whenever you feel the urge to do something, go do it and do it 100% regardless of what anybody else tells you. Number four, think little of yourself and strongly of the world. And I thought this was really powerful because it's a reminder to ourselves that we are so small in the speck of things. And our individual ego will get in the way of that and try to make everything that we're experiencing the biggest deal in the world. But whatever you're going through, whatever life situation you're in, whether that's really good or really bad, remember that the world is so much bigger than who we are. And that's okay. It's not... Obviously, if you're going through a bad situation, that's harder to think about than if you're in a good one. But think how really the big world, the how big the world is and how small we are compared to the world and how we can help contribute to the world as a whole. Number five, be separated from your desires your whole life long. So the more you have, the more you want. And, and such never stopping desires makes only want things we may never gain which can only lead, lead again to frustration and obsession. So the point is to be thankful for what you have, live not wanting more, and wait for good things to come naturally. So again, this idea of going back to desire. If we can separate ourselves from being consumed by our desire all the time, we're going to be so much better off in the pursuits of what we do because we're not going to be obsessed with satisfying our desire and, again, seeking pleasure for pleasure's sake. We're going to much, be much more in the moment and in the pursuit of things because we know it's the right thing to do and what is going to be the best long-term for us. Number six, do not regret what you have done. Never live in regret. And this is pretty powerful because I think a lot of people, myself included, can sometimes have guilt for things that we may have did, where whether we didn't do the best job in something or we didn't talk to people the right way or we didn't win a game or we didn't do these certain things and then we regret it and then that burdens us and we have guilt or just shame for whatever we're doing. That keeps you in a shame consciousness and a guilt consciousness and keeps us in regret, which ends up building up onto us and compounding over years to where we have negative energy built out. However, when we release this regret, when we let go and just focus on the present and building for the future, it's so much better because we're not attached to these certain things and weighed down by it. So I thought that was pretty powerful. Number seven, never be jealous. And I don't think... This is probably one of the most important things, but I don't think it could be said any better than that. Don't be jealous of what other people have. You are you and your own experiencing living life. So don't be jealous for what other people have. We are all on our own journey. And that's something just in my thoughts and meditation recently that has come up is we are all on our own journey and don't get obsessed with thinking that you are at a certain point because somebody else reached a certain point by that point in their life. Never be jealous for whatever people have. Be thankful for what you have because no one else is you. Only you are. 
Number eight, never let yourself be saddened by a separation or loss. Obviously, this is harder than it sounds, easier said than done. But if you can keep yourself from being saddened by separation and loss, and again, understand that that's part of life and part of our human experience, obviously it's going to be sad, but we need to make sure that we are focused on contributing and providing value to the people around us. And again, not being burdened by this. Again, it's not bad to be sad over bad things that happen. We can't let that control our future and shape our personality for the future. Number nine, resentment and complaint are inappropriate for oneself or others. Again, you see this kind of alignment with these negative things and removing them. Many of us find comfort in complaining when things go wrong, unfortunately, but by doing that, by doing so, we live in the past. And instead of this, it's better to leave these bad things to just pass by. Dwelling on stuff we cannot change only prolongs the past hold over our lives. So again, resentment, it's one of these things that builds up inside you and you just have to let that go. Number 10, don't let yourself be guided by the feeling of lust or love. Wow, that is powerful. If you can stop yourself from being controlled again by the desire or the lust for love or any of those things in your life, how much better and clearer headed will your decisions be made? Again, easier said than done. But if you can remove the ego, which a lot of times manifests in the form of lust or anything like that, how much powerful, how better is your life going to be and how much more powerful and in control of your life are you going to be? Number 11, in all things, have no preferences. I thought this was pretty powerful because so much of our culture is built on saying, I am on this side. I am part of this team, especially with the election coming up. I believe in this. Instead, be open-minded. Have no preferences. It's not about disliking any things. The point is to just be open-minded and accept things and always be willing to change your point of view based on new information that can come in. Number 12, be indifferent to where you live. Wow. Again, so short, but so profound. Be indifferent to where you live. And part of the book, the Book of Five Rings, Musashi talks about not being obsessed with where you live. And he was a pretty successful guy, but he actually chose to live in a small, very humble place. So are we spending our whole lives obsessing about where we live and having material possessions? Or are we just content to be and then focus on what we actually can provide to the world rather than what we can accumulate for ourselves just for consumption. Number 13, don't, don't pursue the taste of food. Another one, so powerful. What is a huge problem that I always talk about in our culture? Obesity, inflammation, all these different things. You should eat out of necessity, not for pleasure. Food should be your fuel, not the end to itself. If not, you will be constrained by gluttony. That is so powerful. And if everyone could take that view into their lives, how much more? Unfortunately, it's hard because we have all these different choices for food. And food, and we can enjoy food, but we want to make sure that we're using it as a fuel to make our lives better rather than something we're inflicting self-harm. Number 14, don't hold on to possessions you no, no longer need. Again, this is powerful, and this is something that is seeming to gain a, lot of, gain a lot of steam lately through the minimalist movement. But how many things do we have in our life that we don't really need? And we accumulate these things, and we spend all of our money on them, and then we don't really need them, and then they just end up filling up space in our house and we don't need them and they kind of weigh us down. So how many people do you know that are weighed down by your possessions? Are you weighed down by your possessions? Are they something that's holding you back from achieving what you want to do? Or are you just working simply to keep your possessions? So again, pretty powerful. Don't hold on to possessions that you don't need. And a good rule I've heard about that is a six month rule. If you haven't used it in six months or won't plan on using it in the next six months, get rid of it. And that's how I try to live my life. And I can tell you for sure it is 
so much better because you have a clearer headspace and that doesn't really make sense until you do it. But try doing that. Try the six month rule where you throw everything out you haven't used in six months or plan to use in the next six months and just see if you notice any difference. Number 15, do not act following customer beliefs. How many times again do we do what we're told just because it's the custom of our culture, or the custom of what we were taught in school or the custom of the system that we are brought up in? Always question everything around you and question what you really believe and question what the people around you believe. And that's going to help develop whatever beliefs you have to be stronger and again, keep you open-minded for the future. Number 16, do not accumulate weapons or practice with weaponry beyond what is useful. Now, at first glance, this may seem like it's not as relevant to our culture, but weapons should be used for defense, not to initiate reasonless attacks. It should only be a tool, so there's no need to pay too much attention to it. And I thought about this in terms of the technology that we have today, because again, weaponry isn't something that everybody, few people do, but that everybody is using on a daily basis. But how many times can we use the tools in our lives around us for good measures, like social media and all these things, or bad measures, how, how much can they be toxic? So really think about how you're integrating the quote unquote weapons of the 21st century into your life and using them as a tool rather than something that is causing a toxic relationship or causing toxic habits in yourself to build up. Number 17, do not fear death. And I think a lot of people walk around with the fear of death and what's going to happen because of it. but. When you are constrained by that, it is going to inhibit you. And then in quantum physics, you get what you focus on. So if you are focusing on being afraid of death, most likely you're going to bring that into your energy field around you. So do not fear death. And again, this kind of, kind of goes to a philosophical debate about what happens when we leave here. But if you are comfortable and know that your soul lives on, you won't fear death. Number 18, don't try to possess either goods or fiefs, which at that time was just land areas for your old age. Again, we do not need possessions to live happily. So instead of accumulating things for old age, which a lot of people do, they work their whole life just to accumulate the stuff for when they're old and then they can't even enjoy it when they're old. It is better to live in the moment. It's because we do not know what the future holds for us. Am I focusing on gathering goods for the future? Life here will pass us by. And then all the times that we would and have been able to enjoy pass us by. And again, I think I said it in another pod podcast, but Bob Dylan said, life is what is happening. Life is what happens when you're busy making plans. 19, this is really cool. So you should respect and look up to the gods, or if you are someone from a monotheistic religion, gods, one god, prophet, sages, generally any other force you believe out there, they should serve as signposts. However, you cannot trust them with your entire life path. And again, this is more on the philosophical and religious side of things, but I thought this was cool because yes, we want to trust in God or if you believe in multiple gods, whatever the situation is. However, there is still something you saw inside you that requires you to work hard and you to show up every day. So a lot of people would just say, oh, I can leave it up to my religion or whatever. You are still in control of your life. So again, is that reality real? I believe so, yes, the spiritual realm is real. However, we also have to be in charge of our own life. Number 20, you may reject your own body, but you may reject your own body, but you must save your honor. The point is all other things are less important than honor. You can forsake anything but honor. And again, this kind of goes hand in hand with integrity. You can have everything or you can leave everything, but you can it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and integrity, and you can ruin it in an instant. 
Once you compromise your integrity and honor, that can't go back. So always think about that. Whatever you're doing, whether everybody's looking or whether nobody's looking, once compromised, it's very hard to get your integrity back. So think about that in everything you do. Would even the thoughts that you have be something that you would be willing to do in public? And I think a lot of this, the answer is probably no. So we need to make sure that what we're doing is maintaining honor and integrity. And lastly, number 21, never stray from the way. The way is your path of life. Things you have dedicated yourself to, your goals, plans, activities, and what you want to do until you die. So once you've found such things, you shouldn't give them up and start over again. Rather, you should persevere and stay on your own way for this is the only way to you to lead a happy life, not to be anchored in the past and regret. So I will close this out. Never stray from the way. What is your way? What do you know is what you're supposed to be doing here on the planet? What do you know is the way of how you should be living your life? I think intuitively we all know the difference between right and wrong and the difference between what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. However, life can often pull us away from that and keep us astray from the straight and narrow of what we should be doing. So with that being said, to close out, are you following the way? And that's going to be something that's up to you. It's not something that you can necessarily look to a text to, can look to somebody else to, to look to something external. It has to be discerned within yourself through meditation, through prayer, and through understanding and discernment. So closing out, are you straying from the way or are you following the way? And I think that is a really cool way to look at the samurai and their philosophies and principles and about how we can apply them into our own life today in the 21st century. So I know that was a little long-winded and probably longer than I'm used to going, but if you got any sort of value or resonance out of this, definitely let me know if you apply any of these techniques in your lives and just try to remember those things. I know a lot of them go hand in hand together. Try to remember them as you live your life and live your life in that way. And I think it can ultimately be boiled down to that last one. Don't stray from the way. And all those things can kind of combine to be, quote unquote, the way. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you stay to the end, I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you guys next time. Peace.